Five, four, three, two, one, micro penis. Don't talk about yourself. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the adventurous Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, no snark, no sarcasm. It is nice to be recording back with you after two weeks off. Wow, an honest, legit comment. I'm, I don't know what to say. I was prepared for snark. <laughs> I know, I'm changing it up on you. It is, uh, it is nice to record with you as well. It's Thank fun you. being on the road and meeting all these different people. I'm and very have, jealous. I'm very, very jealous you get to do that. I, I have a lot more ahead of me, too. So uh, you guys are going to be hearing a lot more audio on the road. But I uh, hope, the, hope the sound quality is okay. But if nothing else, it's hysterical to laugh at how insane Keechee Baker is. So... <laughs> Anyway, folks, uh, we have some exciting, exciting stuff for you this time out. We are going to revisit something from, was it like March 2014, I think it is? <laughs> Got to go back to like episodes 88 and 89, I believe it is. We started a long time ago covering some backup stories. We wanted to touch on some old Aquaman backup stories and some old Firestorm backup stories. We even were like trying to have a name contest to name the segment, which that all just fell, fell apart. I still got the shirt prize, by the way. That uh, donated by Little Russell Burbage, so maybe we'll get around to getting that contest back up. So, if you have a name for our con- uh, for what our backup segment should be, feel free to send it in. If you sent one in a year and a half ago, send it in again. So anyway, uh, but before we do that, we should probably take a moment to thank our sponsor, folks. Uh, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty-two percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. What you got, buddy? For a change-up, I'm going to select something by Jim Apparo. Uh, this is <laughs> <laughs> Showcase presents the Phantom Stranger, Volume 1. It features reprints of Phantom Sh- Showcase number 80 and Phantom Stranger 1 through 21, which are my all-time favorite Phantom Stranger stories. 
written by Bob Kegger, Denny O'Neill, Jerry Conway, John Broom, Len Wein, and others. Artists Carmen Infantino, Kurt Swan, Nick Cardi, Murphy Anderson, Neil Adams, and of course, oh my Jim, gosh. yeah, really, and Jim Aparo. These are my all-time favorites. These are so much fun because uh, this whole episode is going to be me me waxing Aparo's car, not like every other episode. Normal price sixteen ninety nine. What kind of cars drive? Yeah, really. Normal in stock trades price nine dollars and eighty five cents, forty two percent off. That's five hundred and forty four pages of mysterious goodness for only ten bucks. <laughs> Can't beat it. Well, like you, Rob, I'm going to go far afield and recommend the Firestorm, the Nuclear Man trade paperback. Oh, I thought it was going to be Alpha Flight. <laughs> I have recommended this thing probably more than any other trade pack trade paperback. However. It is completely relevant today because the issues I'm going to talk about are in this trade paperback. So this collects the first uh, five issues of the Firestorm series plus the unpublished sixth issue, sixth issue. Then the backup appearances from The Flash, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Jerry Conway, Al Milgram, George Perez, Klaus Jansen. Really? Do I need to go on? Page count, 176 pages. Uh, retails for $17.99. You get it for 42% off right now, which is $10.43. And why don't you have this on your shelf already? So... Again, our thanks to InStock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions. And that's InStockTrades.com. Well, sir, um, I think it's uh, time to get a little adventurous, don't you? It is. Now, I mean, we were, you were just saying that this is like an extension of our, our backup series, but these are not backups, these Aquaman stories. These are actually front-ups. So <laughs> uh, it really isn't technically right. But let's just give a little bit of context here. This well, is it, Maybe yeah. it's short. Short stories. Short subjects. Yeah. That's a I mean, good one. I like that this one. This is 11 pages. Yeah, this day. is only 11 pages. Right. These are very short. Uh, yeah, this is uh, – I'm going to be talking about Adventure Comics number 441, which is cover dated October 1975, Whip Inflation Now. Uh, it only costs 25 cents. This is the first issue of Aquaman as headliner of Adventure Comics. He, of course, had been in the book for 15-odd years uh, through the 50s and in the early 60s, and um, – then he moved on to his own title, but this is his first time as a headliner of the book. Now, again, a little bit of further context. And by 1975, Aquaman had not had a solo series for four years. His, uh, his, his regular series uh, had been canceled in 1971. So he was pretty much homeless and other than guest appearances, just appeared in Aquaman. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, just appeared in um, Justice League of America. Uh, and then in Adventure Comics' uh, 435 through 437, he got a backup to the Spectre. And I'm guessing that those were used as a sort of test thing because uh, a couple months later, he became the headliner. And, uh, you know, I, I, I should interv- I've interviewed everybody that's done all those stories. I've never actually asked whether that was meant as a test thing or it was just let's, let's give Aquaman a backup. And, oh, look, people really liked it. Let's give him the lead. But it doesn't matter. The first story here that we're going to talk about is called The Pirate Who Plundered Atlantis. It is written by Paul Levitz and David Michelini with art by, you guessed it, Jim Aparo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, now, was he drawing the Aquaman series when it got canceled? Yes. Okay, so four years later, he comes back to the character. Yeah, he comes back to the character. Yeah, they even got, uh, in, in the, uh, the previous installment adventure, they even got Steve Skeets back. So they, you know, oh, wow. they went back and got all the guys, and you know, it was like a whole lot of fun. But anyway, this story opens with an amazing splash page. We will post this on the Tumblr, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. The, one of the hallmarks of the what? That's way. That's Rob's way of saying, Shag, make a note. You have to post yeah. this on Tumblr. Yeah, Shag, Shag, do this. <laughs> one, one of the hallmarks of these stories will be 
fantastic splash pages. Apparel really did great job. So you've got this guy with a hook for a hand and a pirate costume, and he's squaring off against Aquaman. And, uh, you know, he, uh, Aquaman is like, uh, would you rather be turned – he's like basically surrender or you're going to be turned into fish food, which is, is – I love Aquaman trash talking. Uh, anyway <laughs> – this story opens with Aquaman attending the attending to typical ruler of Atlantis type business when an old time foe of his, Captain Demo, yes, Demo, sends video video message saying he will be converting Atlantis to a home for undersea criminals. Aquaman takes off and he attacks Demo's ship full of silly drenched henchmen. Uh, they focus their attention on him, paying uh, not enough attention to Aquaman's finny friends who start grabbing all the Archer Teacher castoffs left and right. That allows Aquaman to nab Demo, who rears his hook hand and fend him off. Then we cut to a whole new scene where Demo is the new king of Atlantis. It's like, what? What the hell's going on? Uh, all will be explained in a moment. It says, as the citizens of Atlantis cast to get Aquaman for betraying them, Mira and Volko attempt to defend the royal compound from Demo. Mira goes after uh, Demo directly when Aquaman actually attacks Mira to get her to stop. Aquaman then leads a line of people offering plunder to Captain Demo, enduring the taunts of his former subjects. He offers up Demo a giant oyster, which snaps close on Demo's hooked hand. While Demo frees himself, Aquaman informs him that he placed a jamming device inside the oyster, rendering bomb controls and Demo's hook inoperative. Aquaman then tells Demo he gave, he gave in to him long enough to stall to come up with a plan. And as uh, Aquaman is standing over Demo, who is sort of laying there helpless, we see Aquaman's finny friends just whipping the crap out of his henchmen, which is like a fantastic <laughs> panel. I just one of my all-time favorite Aquaman panels. Um, Aquaman is running while Aquaman rounds up the other henchmen. Demo escapes on his schooner. Aquaman considers going after him, but decides to stay back in Atlantis and help clean up. And that is the end of the story. You were um, reading a you were reading a full blown scripted recap. Mm-hmm. I I'm tired of the lousy job I do on these synopses. Oh, crap. And I love these stories. Now. Yeah, well, that was, that was part of my plan. I had two weeks. Uh, part of the thing that um, reason I wanted to do that to do it a little more smoother. These are I realized my all time favorite Aquaman stories, even more than the Search for Mira by Skeets and Apparel. I love those stories, but these this run in Adventure Comics from 441 through 452 are my all-time favorite Aquaman stories. These are the ones I think of the most when I think of Aquaman. Um, they feel like summer to me. Uh, most of the stories take place during the day. It's bright sunlight. Apero is at the absolute top of his game in 1975. Um, the, this series will trip hammer through all the villains – some of the classic, classic ones. Some of the not so classic. Uh, like here, where does Captain Where does Captain Demo come from? I don't he's remember. He's not. Him. He's completely made up. He's he's. Oh. They mention that he's an old foe of Aquaman's. He's never appeared before. He only makes one future appearance, and that is in one panel in uh, <laughs> Adventure in Action Comics number five nineteen, I think, which is the one we profiled in the last backup oh, episode, geez. which oh. is the one, which is the one where. Um, the king of Atlantis brings up all of Aquaman's foes and it turns okay. out they're all just like robot duplicates and stuff. And, but Demo is in that panel and that is literally the last appearance he makes until they just use blackjack. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they had to fake that Captain Demo was like an old time foe, but uh, no, these, I just love these things to death. To me, they are such a pleasure to read. They have been collected into the um, Prince of Atlantis or no, Death of a Prince. I'm sorry, Death of a Prince trade paperback, which I guess is out of print now, or maybe just Insect Trade doesn't have it. Really? Oh. Uh, and pick that one up because it's great. These said, I love these stories 
to death. I just never tire of reading them. And at 11 pages, they just move like lightning. You know, and the same topic's going to come up with the Firestorm background. It's interesting. You've got 11 pages. Mine have 8 pages. And they're packed full of story, and yet both make time for a full-page splash yep. to open the story, which is pretty impressive that they're willing to use that much real estate in such a short story. Yep. Now, can we talk about a couple individual things here and there? I know. You want to go pick at this. Go ahead. A little well, – for fun, kind of. And it's <laughs> – I know you love it. And like you said, all those reasons, it's sunny, it reminds you of summer, it's Jim Aparo, all that stuff. When you And I read this years and years ago when I went through my – when I first fell in love with Aquaman, which was uh, like really, really as a collector, which was probably 1990 or whatever, when bought all these adventure comics runs. And I tore through them. And now reading them again, what, 25 years later, I see that it's a little silly. I mean, this story is pretty silly. Like the whole gimmick of we don't know why Aquaman has surrendered the kingdom. We don't know why. Why Why did he surrender the kingdom to this guy? And it's just – it's kind of goofball. Atlanta, Aquaman is never given an inch by Atlantis ever. They no, never give him the benefit of the doubt. No matter how many times he saved their collective bacon, they're always, they, they turn on him so fast. I'm going to tell you why. Because on page two, the prototypical situation for Aquaman on the throne of Atlantis. First panel, he looks bored out of his mind. Okay? The second panel – the plant, the damn plankton farmers. Yeah, the guy is always the damn plankton farmers complaining to him, and they never get to make their case. He, the plankton farmers get interrupted every damn time. That's why everyone hates him. The plankton farmers have had enough of him ignoring them. That's the people that hate him. There's your answer. We contributed a lot of money to your campaign, Aquaman, and we don't appreciate. <laughs> But I mean, seriously, if you go back and reread these, plankton farmers come up all the time. It's hysterical. It's so. just, it's just, a, it's just a classic shorthand for the most boringest, boring thing in the world that Aquaman right. has to deal with. <laughs> and then the goon that comes in to attack. All right, he, the goon comes in, he beats him up, and then you know, Blackjack slash Captain Demo comes on the on the radio and says, "Well, by now you've beat up my goon." Well, if he had a radio transmission coming in anyway, why send the goon to start with? <laughs> I don't know. There's no rational reason other than to have an action scene on page two. I do love the goon because he really does look like, uh, you know, a guy that would work at a pirate-themed restaurant, you know, and <laughs> bring you, bring you your, your onion rings in a basket, you know, that kind of thing. Arr, do you want some tartar sauce with your fresh? <laughs> exactly. It's just, yeah, he's the sea captain from The Simpsons. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. No, these stories are very silly. They're, they're, they're very – but that's – that's what I, I like. They they just totally embrace. You know what? I was about to say they embrace their goofiness, but they don't because that's kind of um, meta. They're not embracing. They just were goofy. They go with it. They go they, with. They it. don't even go with it. They just were because that's what comic book superhero comics were sort of doing then. You know what I mean? You had some bits here and there that were kind of like just, serious stuff creeping in. But at the same time, this was published. You had hard traveling heroes, buddy. You did have right, and you had the death of Gwen <laughs> Stacy. But for the most part. You know, superhero comics were still very, very silly, and these are very silly. But I just—it's—I don't know. I—they're just—they're just—they're just fun. They're just really fun, and that's Aquaman. And you know, it, it is literally at the end of this run of stories where Aquaman gets really not fun. Yeah. For basically the next quarter of a century. So that's the other thing is like this is sort of the last gasp of truly fun Aquaman until kind of Jeff Johns came in and wiped all that stuff clean. 
Yeah. And even yeah. that's not that fun. And, and, and now they're fixing it. They're making him not fun again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well done, DC. But, uh, no, yeah, it. these are. I love it. Yeah. Come on, like, look at page seven, okay? Page seven, the panel in the middle on the right, the caption box has a hand up, like a warning. Like, the caption box actually has grown hands. Well, it's Corman Fantino used to do that in the Flash <laughs> comics. And one of the caption boxes, got, it's got like a hand up as in like, whoa! And then it's pointing a finger at something else to draw your attention, which mm-hmm. is hysterical to me. And what it's drawing attention to is Aquaman, as you mentioned, sucking his wife. This is probably the root of why she went crazy and tried to kill him years later. Mm. Right here. Because let me tell you, you punch your wife with no explanation, you're sleeping on a couch for a year. He's an idiot. <laughs> I like I like how you redhead. I no. like how you had to throw in with no explanation. <laughs> As if you could do it with an explanation. That's all right. Though. Well, there you go. It's even better. Okay, good point. <laughs> yeah, but just, you don't punch. I, I'm married to a redhead. You don't punch a fiery redhead. You just don't. It's a bad idea. So, not that I know from experience. Um, now, at the end of this, when everything's all said and done, what about the bombs that are still under the city? He went and got rid of them. He did? Yeah. He sent right. his finny friends to go get them. Did he? I thought he just canceled the signal. I'm sure he got his Finney friends to get them as well. Uh huh. I'm not so sure about that. Yes, because Atlantis blew up. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying the bombs are still sitting under there. You know what? I think I actually wish Atlantis would blow up for Pete's sakes, but <laughs> we're, not that, we're not that lucky. <laughs> oh man! It's that panel. I'm sorry. Again, we'll post this on the Tumblr as well. But that panel of Aquaman Which just one? standing there. Um, the la- what is it? Page what is it? Page fourteen. They, they have page numbers on them. Yeah, they do. Page nine. Page what the hell? Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Page. What the hell? I just saw it. It's what in the, the corner. I know. Bottom, no, no, left I'm or trying. Right, to, no, I'm trying to find the panel I'm talking about. What I just, was it about? The one where he's standing over Demo. I can't find it now because I'm look. Oh, here it is on page ten, yes. panel two of him standing there over Demo with. The henchman getting tossed around by the swordfish and the octopus. I yep. just and Aquaman just looks so badass. I just, it I does. just, it's fantastic. It's interesting that you know, in, in hindsight, you know, we got Topo the the the, the 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 octopus, we got Tusky the walrus. Although, did Tusky ever appear in the comics? No, uh, yeah, later on he did. Yeah. Okay, we got Storm and Imp, the seahorses. Never a swordfish with a name. No, I guess not. I think we needed a swordfish with a name. Because they, they show up often enough. We'll yeah. run another contest on the shrine. <laughs> Pointy. Pointy the Pointy swordfish. Pointy the swordfish. Pointy the there swordfish. it is. Marlin. Marlin the swordfish. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, anyway. The, the cover is really great. It's got Mira in trouble. But it, it, it's a, these, are, these are just, this is what I think of when I think of Aquaman. So, you know. I have to agree. I do as well. Um, the, the, old, the, the, the later issues of his ongoing series in the, in the 70s. Um, like the Nick Cardi covers, and then these adventure comics are what I think of when I think of classic Aquaman as well. Yep. So, yeah. lots of fun. Glad, glad to revisit this. I'd be happy to do this segment more often because it's fun. If nothing else, I get to needle you and just go, ha ha. I absolutely want to do the rest of these. I don't want to let this go on forever. I really do want to profile the rest of them. And maybe at some point, maybe we'll do like two at a time or something because I really do want to work because they get better and better. Uh, and yep. in fact, this run features my all, is it my like second all time favorite Aquaman image? Ever, ever of any Aquaman image ever. So. Do, is this the is this the run we did where we like if we continue from this point forward, do we end up back at that Action Comics we did a, a year ago or whatever? Uh, it would be a while with the robots. That would be a long while because that was not good. 
No, that would be that, that no, because in the, he he was in Adventure from four forty one through four fifty two. Then he then he came got his own series again. Then he came back to Adventure from four sixty through four sixty six. Then he was gone again. Then he came back from Adventure four seventy five to four seventy eight, and then that led to Action Comics. So that when, that when, that'll be like Fire and Water episode three hundred by the time. We get <laughs> when did he get his own monthly series again? In between that. Okay. All right. Those, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, which, which is the issue that has the like Aquaman? He's he's like turning his head. You see two images of his head looking both ways, left and right, like double jeopardy. There's like a missile coming on one side and Adventure something else. Adventure number four seventy eight, which is the last one before he gets moved over to Action Comics. That is like the greatest cover. Yeah. I love that cover. Those are good. Dick Giordano. Right. Yeah. Well, of course, of course, it's good. So. All right, man. Well, that was fun. That was a fun down uh, walk down memory lane. So enjoyed that. So uh, I think we're going to take a break. Take a break, right? And and when we come back on the back on, on the backside, folks, we're going to do two count them two backup stories from the Flash, featuring or I'm sorry, not backup stories, short stories of Firestorm um, from the Flash, and uh, drawn by George Perez. My name is Chad Bokelman. For five years, listeners were stuck with a mediocre show. Now we will fulfill our listeners' expectations to use the time and topics left to us and bring down those who are threatening to overtake us. To do this, we must become someone else. We must become something else. Really? What? (laughs) This is your your original attempt? (laughs) Yeah, dude. At a promo? Yeah. I think you're kind of confusing what this show's about, Chad. All right, I got to know. I got to know. All right. Okay, maybe 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 your second attempt will be a little more fresh and original. <clears throat> okay, okay. All right, all right. All right. <clears throat> I'm hoping. <Yeah. clears> My name is Barry Allen, and I'm the fastest man alive. When I was a child, I saw my mother killed by something impossible. My father went to prison for her murder. And wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, okay. Stop, 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 time out. What? <laughs> this is the Lantern cast. We're supposed to be talking about Green Lantern. Not necessarily new material because most people don't like the books these days, but the point still is we're supposed to be talking about Green Lantern. Eh, I guess you're right. And I, I, I guess the old show wasn't really mediocre. I just thought it'd be funny. You did your best, Chad. That, that, that's what's so tragic. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't you tell them what the show really is about? It's about Green Lantern. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, there's well, there's the comics. There's well, let's run down some things. We've we've done what? We've done commentaries. We've done yes. We we've done movie commentaries. We've done ring our ring encyclopedia stuff, reviewing you know props and rings and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Movie reviews. We do we do stuff like that. Too. Yeah, yeah. We've we commented uh, done running commentary on uh, on uh, issues per month. We've done random issue reviews. Uh, Old stuff and new, lots of old stuff recently. Even we've even had interviews, uh, both in the old iteration of the show and the new iteration of the show with me and Mark. So uh, tons of tons of stuff here over at the Lantern Cast for you guys to listen to. It's not just one. We're not a one trick pony over here. Stole my line. I was just gonna say that. No, we have a pretty broad base of topics and things that we do, and we think I think we have a little bit for everybody. So we certainly would appreciate everybody coming to check us out and we think you won't be disappointed yeah we you can find us at lanterncast.com we're also on uh itunes and stitcher so search for lanterncast and you can find us easily there and if they want to contact us they're more than welcome to do so mark you got that information right you always do <laughs> lanterncast at gmail.com <laughs> lanterncast at gmail.com 
and we even have a voicemail line. Guess guess what? It's seven oh eight Lantern. Awesome. And we're on Facebook and Twitter. So find the Lantern Cast in whatever way suits you best. But definitely give us a listen either on our website, on iTunes, or on Stitcher. We're always here for you guys. And I guess what? Closing line: Light the lantern. <laughs> Keep, keep the emerald flame burning. All right. Awesome. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One is the man of tomorrow powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile, let's go. Up! Up and Atomic batteries. Turbine to speed. Roger. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. All right. I am looking forward to this. And my recap is more off the cuff than yours was. So now you're gonna, you, get to, you get to look good for once. So without even having to put on makeup this time. So. All right, folks. This is coming from Flash, the fastest man alive. Uh, issues 291, cover dated November 1980. Um, and then Flash 292, Cover dated December 1980. But if you want to get a pristine copy of this, folks, you're going to have to jump on your cosmic treadmill and run really fast and go back to August 11th, 1980 and um, September 11th, 1980. If you want to pick up brand new, fresh copies of this where you still smell the newsprint. And if you're not careful and you've got a little grease on your fingers, the black from the back cover is going to get on your fingers. Just saying. And just to put this in perspective. You know, Firestorm had his original series with five issues, and it was gone. He was gone for a year. He showed up in DC Comics Presents number 17. Um, Superman, out of the blue, invites him to join the Justice League. He pops over to Justice League for a few issues, goes to a couple issues of Flash, goes back to the Justice League. So basically where, where, where I'm going with this is these issues take place directly after Firestorm has just had that apocalypse adventure. Uh, in Justice League. Remember uh, Justice League 183 through 185, where the JSA and the JLA team up and they end up on Apocalypse? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's the one where they shifted over from Dick Dillon to... George Perez. George Perez. That's correct. So that has just happened, and then we come right back here um, for this, for this uh, backup. So if you, were, you know, if you were a JLA reader at the time, Firestorm's sort of a new character to you, and you're learning about him, and this is a great opportunity to learn more by reading these backups. So uh, this is a Jerry Conway, George Perez, Bob Smith, and Lynn Gelford joint. And uh, as we get into it, the first one is called Hi The Hyena Laughs Last. 
as it opens, Firestorm is uh, he's in he's in Firestorm mode, and we get a full page splash of him f- flying in to the garment district in sort of a warehouse area, and he's flying into land. Him and the professor separate in a gorgeous panel. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Where they separate into their composite units of, of Ronnie Raymond and Professor Stein, and Professor Stein is very nervous. He's in a three piece suit, and he's getting ready to go for a job interview. They have basically used the atomic form of Firestorm as crosstown transportation. So Professor Stein can't get to his job interview. Ronnie's coaching him, saying, hey, you're going to do great. Just relax. You'll be fine. And Professor Stein says, you know what? Uh, It's been years since I've gone on a job interview. Maybe I'll just have a small drink first. And Ronnie loses his crap. He is all up in the professor's face about this because he is trying to help the professor rebuild his life. And Ronnie knows that alcohol is what has destroyed the professor's life for the last couple years. Um, Never mind the fact that Ronnie's really the cause of all of this, but that's a separate discussion. Then uh, Ronnie walk, uh, catches the bus back to school. He bumps into his friends, of course, Doreen Day, Cliff Carmichael, and Jefferson slash Jackson, which i got to still figure out which one's his first name. And well, he, basically what happens is they just call him Jackson for years, and then they just call him Jefferson for years. And I'm like, what? Anyway, so um, as usual, Cliff Carmichael's giving him a hard time. He's basically saying, hey, Ronnie, you missed basketball practice. You suck. What's wrong with you? You're too good for the team, all this stuff. And then Jackson steps in and basically goes, um, he goes, I know what you're doing. I know you think you're doing the right thing, buddy, but you're messing with my teammate. So Cliff goes off in a huff, and Doreen actually says something useful uh, and mean about Cliff, which is nice. And they all walk off laughing. Ronnie goes with Doreen to the airport, where she's picking up her sister, her sister who is cleverly named Summer Day. And Summer is, quite honestly, a bitch and uh, very rude to Ronnie. And they, they go ride back, and Ronnie's just like, Ugh, she's exactly like I remember her. And they, they ride back to the house. And so that's a nice little subplot development. You know, Doreen's sister, who's apparently been away for a while and is sick, uh, perhaps sick, has come home. And it's, it's uncomfortable. So the Professor Stein comes out of Concordance Research, and he's got the job. He got hired. Little does he know he's going to work for Quentin Quayle, but that's a whole different story. So Professor Stein's like, you know what? This deserves a celebratory drink. And he realizes, oh, I'm a fool. What am I doing? I'm trying to throw my life away. I can't drink. And he's very upset about it. And he stops himself, thankfully, from going into the bar. And he looks up, and he sees jumping across the skyscraper some familiar silhouette. He can't place it. He's not sure, but he realizes he probably knows it in his Firestorm form subconsciously, but he can't place it in his conscious form. He's staring up at this shape, following it down as he walks down the road, and realizes he has walked into the middle of traffic. He's in the middle of an intersection because he's been watching the roofs, and he's like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And he calls out for Ronald, and there Ronald is instantly the way the Firestorm thing works is whoever initiates the transformation, they stay where they are. The other person disappears where they are, and Firestorm reappears wherever the person was called for the, for the true transformation is. So Firestorm appears in the middle of the intersection. He turns intangible so he doesn't get smushed by a car. And then the professor is trying to tell Ronnie that you know he called Firestorm for a reason, but he's really dragging it out. And Ronnie's like, come on, just tell me, just tell me. Well, really, the professor was just stalling so they could get to the half-page splash of the hyena jumping out to attack Firestorm. The hyena, the deadly scavenger of crime. (laughs) To be continued in next issue, The Hostages of Precinct 13. Should I go ahead and do the next one, or should we talk about this one? Go right ahead. Okay. I don't want to interrupt the deadly scavenger of crime. I wouldn't want to interrupt the deadly scavenger of crime. Well, and we will see in this next one, you do not want to interrupt the deadly scavenger of crime. So, the next one is, uh, again, in Flash 292. This is The Hostages of Precinct 13. So it starts off with uh, Hyena is leaping at Firestorm, and Hyena has Firestorm by the throat. They're basically 
Hyenas leaped off of a building, so they're just kind of sort of floating in the air at this point. Now, Firestorm can fly, which is fine. Hyena can't. But Hyena is just shredding Firestorm's chest, or at least the, the costume covering his chest, just shredding it apart. Firestorm is having a very difficult time dealing with this. Uh, Hyena really has the upper hand. So Firestorm finally manages to get off a, a blast. Hyena does a quick spin off a flagpole, Spider-Man style. Whips, use the momentum from the flagpole spin to fly back at Firestorm with his legs and kicks him dead in the chest. And Firestorm goes flying. He's, he's knocked prone. He's almost unconscious, flying across the cityscape. Starts to crash, realizes he only has one chance to save himself. So he's falling, and he transforms a car into foam rubber. Now, it still looks like a car, but he transforms into foam rubber, so he lands and bounces off the car. Uh, so he survives. And then he uh, realizes, thankfully, that Hyena only shredded his costume, not himself, because uh, he remembers the Hyena sometimes has poison-tipped claws. So he re, uh, redesign or uses his powers to restructure his costume back into one piece. Flies off to go find the Hyena. Turns out Hyena is trashing precinct, the police precinct 13. And is uh, it doesn't come out and say it, but I've got to assume Hyena is murdering all of these police. Because remember, Hyena is a murdering murderer who murders. So thank you, Ben Avery. So Hyena's trashing the cops. Firestorm goes in, and Hyena has uh, what probably is like a, a police captain, yeah, by the throat and says, Firestorm, you can make another move. I'm going to kill this police captain. You need to get a news crew here, which is totally bizarre. Going out at the same time is there's a jewelry store, and an old man is there, and he's being robbed. This van pulls up. These guys come out with gums, and they're robbing the jewelry store. So back to the police precinct. The, uh, the newscasters show up. They're interviewing Hyena. Hyena's basically saying the cops are corrupt and fat and soft. And at that moment, the uh, alarm goes off, indicating that this robbery is happening down the street at the jewelry store. Well, Hyena then jumps out the window and says he's got to go stop the criminals. Because one of the things that the professor reminds us is Hyena has a deep-seated hatred for cops, but has an equally deep-seated hatred for criminals. It's kind of weird. So Hyena takes off. Uh, instead of stopping Hyena, Firestorm says, this will be interesting, let's watch. Well, uh, Hyena then proceeds to murder, uh, as far as I can tell, all of the jewelry thieves. And as Firestorm is rescuing the old man, the man who owns the jewelry store, Hyena gets away. And um, Ronnie says, so he's won another round, but I promise, Professor, the next one's going to be mine. And we won't actually see the Hyena for a few more issues. So, before I start talking, what do you think? Oh, these are really fun. They're really goofy. Uh, I mean, in the previous... Nice try. The nice pre try. Oh, please. The previous story, super genius uh, Martin Stein wanders into traffic and has to have his bacon saved by Firestorm transforming, so give me a break. Uh, no, these are, these, are, these are really goofy and very silly, but they look great because it's Perez, even though it's sort of like Perez doing... Probably like a little, like a little less than pencils. There's a lot of Bob Smith here more than there's, but there were some unmistakable Perez touches, yeah, which just give it such a life. I mean, there's that one close up of him where he's like reacting on, on page four, and he's like, the, "Oh my gosh, I don't believe it!" And he have like that geometric pattern behind his head, which was Perez's go to for like shock or surprise. Yep. Um, no, they're they're they're. They're fun and they're goofy and they're silly. And Hyena is a particularly silly character among the Firestorm villains. But uh, they're like perfect backups, you know? Like they just – they get out of town before you possibly can get sick of them and not a lot of character development and, you know, but the hell. They're they're, 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 they're exactly what they're supposed to be. <laughs> they're not goofy. But anyway. Um, oh, oh, I'm sorry. These are deadly serious. Well, they're not deadly serious, but come on. All right. I'm going to start at the beginning here. Like when Firestorm flies into the Garment District, you get – Four caption boxes talking about the Garment District of New York. And as a kid, this is the kind of stuff I loved because I didn't know anything about New York. You know, as far as I was concerned, like, 
this was giving me the, the down low on what New York was really like. <laughs> Jerry's like, I did the research. Damn it, I'm going to use it. So, I mean, that's, that's as a kid, I love that kind of stuff, you know, where you find out more about, you know, the world. I'm like, oh, wow, I know all about the garment district now because I read an issue of Flash. Um, and then I also love – one of the things Jerry's really good at with these short stories, he always puts a gag in them. There's always a gag. And in this one, uh, it's got a guy sleeping behind the garment district, who appears to be Bibbo, quite honestly, from the Superman comics in the 90s. But anyway, this guy's sleeping back there. And, you know, he, he – Ronnie and the professor fly in, they transform, and they leave, and this guy sleeps through the whole thing, and he's like, I love this place, nothing wakes me up here. So it's just a funny bit. In an eight-page story, they give that guy two panels to himself. Yeah, uh, three, actually. Well, two and a half, yeah. Now, on page two, though, uh, that transformation shot, a firestorm with his arms outstretched, and Ronnie the professor like almost being thrust away from firestorm as they split in, in white silhouette, is just beautiful. Yeah, really. That nice. is a stunning panel. That's, wow. I mean, I, I might get that as a tattoo. I don't know. I, don't know. I love the, the bit with the alcoholism. I mean, they really they, – they hit you over the head with it, but that's okay. As a kid, you know, it's, you know, alcoholism is bad. Whack. Alcoholism is bad. Whack. And that's okay, you know, because you know what? They're right. It's bad. And uh, so it, it's just neat to see, you know, also a character, a superhero who has a problem that they're trying to deal with, an internal problem, because that's more of a Marvel thing. Usually with DC characters, their flaws are external forces, kryptonite, the color yellow, things like that. Here, his flaw is an internal flaw, which is a much more Marvel character design element, which I I think works really well. And then Doreen, I can't believe, first of all, Doreen's pretty hot, I have to say. She does look really hot in this. And when she makes this comment about Cliff, which is, is actually rather funny, where she says, hey, Cliff walks off, and he goes, but she, and she says, but you know, underneath that wise-off exterior, there's a real low-life real low life creep. What can I say? The truth's the truth, which is pretty funny. So I, today, she's off my shit list. Whoops, sorry. She's off my uh, crap list. When Professor Stein gets the job, and he comes out, and he's uh, thinking about getting a drink, I love the shot of him, like, laying on the mailbox, just in absolute, he's, like, distraught with himself. And he's laying across the mailbox, and you get a close-up of his face, and that is the face of a middle-aged man. That is not... You know, a young-looking superhero-ish kind of guy. That is, it's just. I don't know if you see what I'm talking about. Page mm-hmm. six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the face of an old guy, of a middle-aged guy who's let himself go to pot a little bit, even. And it just it makes me happy because that's who Professor Stein is. You know, in the New Fifty Two, they draw him all young and svelte, but here he's exactly what he should be. He's an old dude, and I love that that he still steps up to the plate to save the day when he's like that. Can I say? Just mention on that same page, page six, yeah. where he's in the middle yeah. of traffic. Yeah. That why are all the cars blue? Um, it was cheaper to just buy Come a on, Come on, Lynn Gelfer. Come on, put a little <laughs> effort into it here. See, I like that I, I like that he did want it into traffic because I like they show him looking up, you know, covering his eyes, trying to see, you know, hyena and he's forgetful and everything. So Nowadays this would just be people looking at their phone doing the same thing. Yeah, I guess so. That's true too. So and then on page seven, the transformation you know, you talked about like kid you know, being a kid and the summer and that just that feeling you get. When I see the professor call Ronnie to transform, I get that same emotion. It's, it's inexplicable. It just makes me so happy inside to see that, like, Ronnie in the middle of something, he gets pulled, boom, and Firestorm gets created somewhere else. That is, like, a touchstone for me as a happy childhood memory kind of thing. So I got all kinds of, like, happy fuzzies from this page for no real apparent reason. Now, the reason why Hyena is not a doofy villain, idiot, is that Hyena is a physical close-in fighter. Firestorm is not a close-in fighter guy. He is a blaster. 
You know, he's supposed to be, you know, if you're playing a role-playing game, he's supposed to be the guy who's like two spaces away blasting the bad guys. He should not be in the hand-to-hand combat, which is what makes um, Hyena so threatening, is Hyena gets right on top of Firestorm and just slashes away, and Firestorm can't even blast him. Uh, so that's why Hyena makes such a good foe for Firestorm. So, take that. Okay. Now, I, I should have mentioned, you know, we saw Summer Day, who's, again, totally bitchy. Now, if you go back in time, and no one did at this point would remember, but Firestorm issues number four and five that had been out more than a year ago, maybe even two years at this point, when Firestorm had met the hyena for the first time. Um, also, coincidentally, that issue also featured Summer Day. So if somebody were to put two and two together, oh, wait, Summer Day was in that issue, Summer Day's in this issue, maybe they're trying to tell me something. So um, I'll let you guys ponder that if you don't know the answers. Now, interesting thing, the last time we saw Hyena, again, was issues in four and five, and in those stories... Hyena was not um, an actual werewolf-type creature. It was somebody in a costume. Because they even talk about it back in issue 4 and 5, how he had, he had built his own vibro claws, and how the costume... Yeah, I know. And how the costume was mostly uh, padding. Like, somebody was carrying him and goes, hey, this costume's mostly padding. This, you know, the hyena's not heavy at all. So clearly, back then, I guess Jerry had intended for the hyena to be a costume and somebody to be inside. Somebody. Somebody. You figure that out. Um, so by, by this point, I think it's fair to say that hyenas probably, that's their whole physical body, wouldn't you say, at this point? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to see a costume. Well, I mean, they don't come out and distinctly say it's not a costume, but I get the sense it is at this point. So you see all the, I mean, you see the muscles tensing and everything, and part the, of that's just The face right. looks like the real face. It doesn't yeah. look like a mask, yeah. All right, so we get into the second one. There's, some, you know, this vicious battle. Um, let's see. I like on page two of this one where Firestorm has been knocked prone and he's just flying backwards through the, through the air because mm-hmm. Aina has knocked him so hard. That's a great Perez-type panel Oh right yeah, there. He loved drawing buildings. Oh, yeah. You see all the buildings, and they're all one color, and Firestorm's just soaring, you know, like almost in a prone position backwards, about to go crash to his death, which is wonderful. Here's where you get your gag in this story, which is when Firestorm's about to crash, he transforms the car into a foam rubber car I mentioned. Well, what you've got at the same time is this drunk guy stumbling out of a bar Trying to get to his car, he's like, oh, my wife's going to be so mad at me. And he's trying to get into his car, and his car is made out of foam rubber. And he's like, uh-oh. And he wanders off and makes a joke about catching the bus to Timbuktu. But there's your gag, which is, which is pretty funny. And I also like how Ronnie called out the professor, because the professor gives him a hard time, as he always does, for making the car foam rubber. And Ronnie's like, I didn't hear you make any better suggestions. So I don't know if that was a you know, uh, plot first kind of thing where, you know, uh, George drew it and Jerry came in and then had a script over it. And so Jerry's trying to like, well, why wouldn't the professor suggest something else? Or whether that was part of the script. I don't know. I think it's a fun bit. It makes me happy. If I they like did, humor. if DC, if they did this DC style, that it was scripted first. And I think Jerry told me he does mostly scripts anyway. So yeah. one of the things that's interesting in this is that Ronnie and the professor are communicating, having a conversation and Ronnie's doing it with thought balloons. And well, you and I are now reading the regular Firestorm comic, and we're on issue 22 now, I think, or something. And I don't think Ronnie communicates with the professor in Thought Balloons at all. I think everything Ronnie says is out loud, if I'm remembering right. I think so. So interesting here that Ronnie was communicating with his thoughts, which, I mean, seems to make sense that he could do that. But it's a... Uh, he, so he does do some stuff. On, page, on the last page, he's talking out loud. Yeah, he does a little bit of both. But yeah. the very fact that he's using Thought Balloons to communicate with the professor, right. I was like, oh, that's unusual. I don't remember seeing that, so... I really dissected the hell out of this thing, sorry. Lots of things to talk about. So yeah, Hyena kills, as far as I, I can tell, kills everybody. I mean, does, do you think these people are knocked out or dead? 
they I, I, on the last page with the guys, they certainly when hyena's tucking into them, they certainly look like they're dying because he's ripping the one guy out. But then Firestorm is so sort of like quippy. Yeah. I, I would I would find it hard to believe that he would stand there and be so like jokey jokey uh, standing over three dead guys. Yeah. So I think they're probably just like really injured. It could be. I mean, the opening dialogue on the the splash page of this one issue, which by the way you do get a full page splash again, is the hyena is a killer, mad, vicious, ferocious, and sly, and what hyena attacks dies. So that's kind of also where I'm kind of like eh, I think they're dead, but. Yeah, I see what you mean. He is, he is taking it very nonchalant. So, I do think it's kind of funny that Hyena calls a news press conference of sorts to prove there's corruption in the police department. And Hyena's proof of corruption in the police department is the police captain's fat. <laughs> that's all the Hyena's got. The cop's fat. That's his, that's his qualifier for corruption. So <laughs> I think he could have had a better argument there. Not sure about that. All in all... Um, you know, interesting the way the artwork goes in this thing, because we talked about, again, eight, uh, eight pages, made time for a splash page on the first page. Then a lot of the subsequent pages have as many as seven panels. I mean, they packed a lot of story into this thing. I think there's probably more story in part one than in part two, but still, um, a lot of story. And, you know, it's th- the same amount that I got in eight pages would take 20 pages to tell nowadays, at least. Oh, oh, good, oh yeah. Oh, Lord. So, yeah. So, um Great, great little story. You know, together they make a 16-page comic. Fun adventure with a hyena. Got a lot of subplot for Professor Stein. You got a lot of subplot for Ronnie. You got some development with a hyena. I'm happy. Happy as could be. Happy as a clam. <laughs> Do you happen to know whether uh, with Jerry's the title of the story, The Hostages on Precinct 13, is a nod to the John Carpenter movie, Assault on Precinct 13? Oh. Um... I, I don't see any references to John Carpenter or the movie in here, but... That, to me, anytime you name something Precinct 13, it's a nod to Assault on Precinct 13. Since when did that movie come out? 1976. It would seem like, I mean, Jerry loved putting nods to pop culture in. Yes, he did. Yes, I mean, we did. see that a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously in his other work as well, but we see it a lot in Firestorm. I mean, whenever he can, he throws in a movie. You know, you'll see, like, the there was, e, there was an E.T. poster in a recent issue we read. Right. <laughs> you know, that he loves that kind of stuff. So I, I'd, I'd be surprised if it wasn't an intentional nod. Yeah, I don't see anybody named like Carpenter or anything like that, but I just, you know, to me it's like you could you could name the precinct anything, 12, 11, 7, you know, but the fact you call it 13 makes me think, eh, it's probably, but I guess we could ask him. Um, no, I won't do that to him because <laughs> I've asked him enough fanboy questions over hey, the Jerry, years. Jerry, do you remember some obscure <laughs> right. factoid from 40 years ago? What do you mean you don't know? Come on, we're, we're having You're a so podcast here, come on. Because, you know, like, I don't know, three out of ten times you will remember. And then when he doesn't, he's, you know, in, in the nicest possible way, just because I've, I mean, it's not, I'm not bragging, but I've interviewed Jerry like five times now, you know. So he'll just be like, come on, guys, seriously? That was 30 years ago. You're really asking that, you know, like in the nicest kind of way. So he's, he's a great guy. Oh, man. I, I don't know if I told you, I, I reached out to him um, about the new Firestorm yes. series that he's going to be writing. So uh, for those of you at home who don't listen to me, you can hear me say it again then. Um, he says, it's too early to really talk about it. Doesn't have anything he can say yet. But hopefully we'll be talking to him as we get closer and as he can say anything. Because you know how tight-lipped DC is nowadays. I don't know. He may not be able to say a word. But either way, he's, he's, up, for t- he's up for chatting. So we'll, uh, we'll get in touch with him as we get closer. So. It gives, gives you a sense of how much Jerry was writing for DC. That if you look at the letters page of Flash 292. Mm-hmm. Now, this Firestorm story was written by Jerry Conway. You go to the letters page and there's the lens lineup on sale September 11th. Justice League 185, written by Jerry Conway. Wonder Woman number 274, written by Jerry Conway. <laughs> New Teen Titans number two, drawn by George Perez. It's like, it's like <laughs> half the DC line was done by two guys. And they were the best. 
They were the best. I, uh, you know what I'm excited about? The next time we do one of these uh, backup or short story or whatever, and again, guys, send in your suggestions. Send them in. I want to hear them. I know you guys, we asked you to do it a year and a half ago, and I'm sorry we dropped the ball. Uh, honestly, we probably would have continued with it, except these little things happen called like The Flash TV Show with Ronnie Raymond and this thing called Throne of Atlantis directed DVD and this thing called you know Jason Momoa. So, I mean, it's been a busy year and a half. So it's not like we just dropped it because we were lazy. So anyway, wow, <laughs> send in your titles. I want to hear them. But anyway, next time is a uh, it's two ninety three, and it is the big one with Flash and Firestorm together versus Atomic Skull. You can all look forward to that in twenty seventeen. Oh, but it's it, have you ever read it? It's so good. No, I've been reading these as we're doing them. So oh, I, I, I have a year to read it. It's got this amazing George Perez cover where it. Oh. All right, all right. We'll get. What are you doing? Come on. I want to talk about it now. No, no. <laughs> all right, all right. So, folks, thanks for listening to the Fire and Water Podcast. Uh, Rob, why don't you tell them our email address where they can send in their suggestions? Firewater Podcast. They will be sent to and ignored at Firewater. <laughs> Firewaterpodcast.conquest.net, and as I said, the Tumblr is firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com, and the blog is firewaterpodcast.blogspot.com. And you can also, uh, if you really want to leave comments and have a conversation about this, the place to go is firestormfan.com. That's where all the hip kids go. So come over to firestormfan.com, leave a comment about the show, we'll talk about it. Uh, you can also find Firestorm Fan on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr, and kind of, sort of, on Pinterest, if I ever figure out how that thing works. You can find Rob over at aquamanshrine.net. You can also find him on Facebook and Twitter as well under the same handles. I think that's going to do it, buddy. That's going to do it. All right. That, uh, until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Bye.